right. Well, one thing that is the same this week is that our pirate ship kids, you are dismissed. There we go. Good times. I wanted to this morning, um, because we are um, in a little bit of a different posture this morning, I wanted to just kind of open up the floor and if anybody wanted to kind of give the Lord some praise this morning, um, you have the floor. And I know that Steve just walked out of the room, but he is is normally my guy for that. But if anybody has anything this morning you just want to praise God for and just kind of want to stand right where you are and and do that, you're more than welcome to it, but it's nothing we'll uh, belabor, nothing we'll drag out, but I um, just wanted to give you that opportunity this morning. <clears throat> thankful to be alive. Yeah, absolutely. Thankful to be alive. Um, if you guys don't know this, there was a hurricane that came right through our alley last week, so thank God for that. <laughs> Anybody else? Yeah, the Lewis family had their baby. That's really cool. Um, they had their baby, uh, what, Wednesday, Thursday, something like that. Um, that's really cool. Number four added to the family. So <laughs> praise God for that. Amen. Yeah, no complications there, but they're still in Greenville. Um, they were evacuated and their whole hospital was evacuated. So I can't imagine what that was like, the whole process in a facility and a doctor. You have no idea who they are or anything like that. So thank God she's okay. Thank God for the community and being there for each other. Yeah, that's good. That's a good word. We try to say here at Creekside that we're not like family, but we are family. Um, especially the highs and lows of life, we want to be family um, for each other. So it's definitely something that we're growing in, something we want to continue to grow in. That's good. All right. Well, that's awesome. Thank you guys so much. Um, So we did a sermon series uh, about this time last year um, where we kind of went through all the things that we value. And it's not something that we harp on a lot because rather than telling you what our values are, we'd rather show you what some of our values are. And if you're interested in that, you can go and look on our sermon page and and our sermon archives and you can go and follow that from last year, the whole uh, five-week sermon series that we did. But one of the things that we do value here at Creekside is we value this word called simplicity. Um, We just value being simple. And and oftentimes, um, we really don't know how to flesh that out and how to make that look um, in, in the real world. And and so whenever Ryan and I were kind of talking about the service this week, we're talking about, you know, what does that look like? Obviously, you know, if you want to make things simple, it's not going to make things simple for everybody. Um, But we did want to make things simple in terms of atmosphere, in terms of um, just being relational and and, and kind of showing you kind of stripping back uh, that really it's just about community. And it's about allowing the Holy Spirit to work. Um, And so whenever half the church is displaced, the evacuation, whenever a hurricane comes through and we're having babies, being born to the, to the church family and stuff like that, that's probably an opportunity where you can go a little simple this week. And so that's what we're doing. And so 
I hope that you enjoy that this morning. Um, we're going to continue in our Restored series next week. If those of you who have been kind of following along, maybe you know that today was supposed to be the day where we go through and interview uh, Ashley Martin. But just with everything going on, we kind of delayed that till next week. So I hope that you would be back next week to hear his story about how God um, has changed his life and he's being transformed into the image of Christ. It's going to be a really exciting time. Um, but today... If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Mark. We're going to be in Mark chapter 4. And hopefully those of you who have listened um, just heard me say that what we had planned um, for several weeks in advance kind of got pushed back or delayed to next week. So um, this is something that the Lord kind of um, showed me during my quiet time this week and it's something that it just kind of expounded on um, and it fits right into the series fits right into the talk we've been talking about brokenness and what brokenness looks like but also restoration and what restoration looks like um, in the life of a believer in the life of someone who comes across Jesus and so we're going to start in Mark chapter 4 we're going to start in verse 35 if you're there say I'm there That's great. Okay, good. If you don't have a Bible, we have them right over there. Um, If you don't, words should be on the screen of your phone. (laughs) There we go. All right. Got some humor. All right, good. We are alive this morning. Alive and well. Mark 4, 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, being Jesus, he said, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them on a boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, Jesus sleeping in the middle of a storm. And they woke him, and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care that we are dying, basically? And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind and the sea, and he said, Peace. Be still, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear, and they said to one another, Who is this then that even the wind and the sea obey him? I don't know about you and your experience this week, um, but there was a time, I believe this was early, early Thursday morning at about 2 a.m., um, I decided that I was going to, you know, kind of be the, the post and I was going to watch. I was going to be the watchman for the night. And in case things got too bad, I would go and get the family. And I don't know what our, my plan was to do at that point in time. It was just to wake everybody up, I guess. Um, but I was kind of keeping an eye on, you know, the weather channel. And um, I remember at two or three in the morning, just checking my phone and seeing that it had been elevated to a category three. And I said, well, this is probably the, mo- the biggest mistake of my life. I've got a three and a half week old in the house and everybody's going to look upon me as a terrible father who kept his three and a half week old in the middle of a storm that had been elevated to a category three. And I just remember thinking for a brief moment being sleep deprived and, and being just totally you know, exhausted and looking at the storm, I said, well, that's it. It's over. It's over. This category three is going to blow over this house and the trees are going to fall down And then for a moment, I was a little filled with fear, if I'm just being vulnerable with you this morning. And I hope that's okay. I was was a little bit fearful. Maybe not filled with fear, like I wasn't biting my fingernails or anything like that, but I was just a little fearful. And I went and woke my wife up and I said, hey, it's kind of 
been upgraded to a category three. It looks like it might be blowing right for our direction. Like, hey, just what do you think we ought to do? And she said, you know, I think it would be a great idea at two in the morning for us to just pack up the house, get the baby and move. And um, maybe we can drive two and a half hours. And I'm sure that's a great idea. Um, that's not exactly what happened. She looked at me and said, you're an idiot. Go back to sleep. We're not doing anything. Um, we're safer here in our house than we would be out on the road at this time of the day. Uh, But I don't know about you, I'm just fascinated with this passage this morning, hearing about how Jesus, uh, with just a simple word, says, peace be still, and the winds ceased. Um, There was a brief moment in in my life, and and again, just being vulnerable, there was a brief moment where I had to ask myself, do I really believe that Jesus cares about this hurricane? Do I really believe that God um, cares about what we're going through right now? And I decided, yes, he absolutely cares. And so it was a time of prayer. Just, Lord, um, peace be still to the storm right now. And uh, I think it's just miraculous how it worked out. We're um, just so minimal damage whenever it looked like things could be um, just crazy. Um, I I don't know about you, but there's times in my life where I doubt, really, I I just doubt the power of Jesus. I doubt the power and the authority of Christ. I doubt what he can do with the weather. I doubt what he can do with people. Uh, I, I doubt what he can really do in the lives of, of people. I don't know about you, but there's people in my life right now. Um, I really just, I want God to save them. You know, I want God to break through the midst of their brokenness. I want God to save them, to call them out of sin, to call them out of darkness. But in my flesh, I look at them and I say, there's absolutely no way. I say that there's absolutely no way. Jesus can't break through in this situation. And for those of you that are with me this morning, and those of you that think that, maybe about a, a family member, those of you that, that might have a neighbor or something like that who might feel like they're just too far gone, um, I, I wanted to just continue in the passage of Mark 5. They uh, came to the other side of the sea, uh, of the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. It says that night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out, and he was cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus afar, he ran and fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he says, what, have you, what do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. So the city, is, it's called Gadara. Um, it's kind of modern day Jordan today. You could take a 13 and a half hour plane ride. You can go and see it. Um, but below the city of Gadara, which was this major city, there was this town called Gerasa. And Gerasa was just below this major city, and it was kind of off to the side. They had these big cavernous tombs where they literally would, would bury all these all the dead bodies. That's where they would put the dead. And out among the dead, living, among, living in the tomb, living among all these dead bodies, is this man. It says that this man who, who's just out there, we don't really know much about him right now, but he's apparently this unclean spirit, and he's living among the dead, living in the tombs. And apparently the demons are so strong, apparently the unclean, uh, unclean spirits are so strong that at oftentimes they would bind him with chains to kind of drive him out 
that would bind him with chains, that he was so strong, the demons were so strong, that he, he could unbind himself from the shackles, unbind himself from chains. Now, I don't know if you know Pastor Rob, but he's a really strong guy, and I think he can do that. I think he can unbind himself from chains. No, I'm totally kidding. But it says that he's oppressed with this unclean spirit, and apparently this unclean spirit is, is kind of tormenting him, but tormenting him to the point where he's crying out at night. And I imagine there's people surrounding in the villages and in, in the town here that just hear this man weeping in the middle of the night, screaming in the middle of the night, just in agony. But not only is he in agony, it's almost like this suicidal state that he's in because he's trying to take shards of glass and shards of rock and he's just trying to cut himself. Almost in a state where the demons and the unclean spirits are driving him to, to almost commit suicide. And we're going to see a little bit more of that in just a little bit. But you see, this man here, as he rushes up upon Jesus, we've talked about this over the last several weeks, that this, this man that's been bound by this unclean spirit, he's made in the image and likeness of Jesus. He's made in the image and likeness of God. And here as Jesus shows up on the scene, I, I'm imagining that he is just filled in his gut. I'm imagining he's just filled with sorrow. He's filled in his gut knowing that this is a human being made in the image and likeness of God who through sin and through brokenness has manifested itself in an unclean spirit that's taken over him, that has possessed him. Now we've talked about this again, that, that through Genesis chapter 3 and through rebellion, this is a consequence, this is a consequence of what has happened from the fall. This is a consequence of man's rebellion. This is a, a picture of just utter brokenness where a man has been subdued by unclean spirits. And so whenever he sees Jesus, he's scared. The, the unclean spirits are scared of him. Do not torment me, Jesus. They call him out by name. They say, Jesus, we, we know that you are Jesus, son of the most high God. The demons, they call him out by his name. The demons call him out and say, we recognize and we see that you are Jesus. That you are the son of the most high God. This is just incredible. And so they don't torment us. Verse 8. For he was saying to them, come out of this man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, he said, what is your name? Now he's not talking to the man. He's not talking to the human being that's been made in the image and likeness of, of God. He's talking to this unclean spirit. He's talking to this, to this demon that lives within him. And he says, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now Legion, in this day and time, it, it really symbolizes, it means about 6,000 Roman soldiers. Can you imagine this, the power? that lives within this guy. Surely he was breaking through the chains and not being able to, to be bound. 6,000 Roman soldiers. He says, my name is Legion for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now a herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So Jesus, he gave them permission. They have to ask Jesus for permission. The unclean spirits have to ask Jesus for permission. And the unclean spirits, they came out of him and they entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, 
they rush down the steep bank into the sea and they drown in the sea. Now, there's a lot of, go- a lot of stuff going on there. and We could get hung up there, but really what I imagine is going on here is these unclean spirits are so afraid of Jesus and these unclean spirits, again, have just been tormenting this man to the point of, uh, of kind of like suicide. And they've been wanting this guy to commit suicide and he's been cutting himself. He's been trying to with, withdraw from the pain. He's been trying to withdraw from the unclean spirits that as soon as Jesus gives them permission to leave this man, to, to be unbound from this man, they, they are sent. They send themselves into these pigs and as they send themselves into these pigs, they, they're, again, they're, they're kind of these depressive demons that enter into these pigs that immediately kill these pigs, kill God's creation. It wasn't Jesus that killed the pigs, but they rushed into these pigs and they drowned themselves. Really morbid picture this morning. <laughs> so he gave them permission and the unclean spirits, they came out, they entered the pigs and the herd numbering about 2,000. They rushed down the steep bank into the sea and they drowned in the sea, the unclean spirits and all. The herdsmen, they fled and they told it in the city, in the country. They told about this thing that had just happened. And the people came to see what had just happened. They came to see this man that had been unbound from this unclean spirit. And they came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion. They saw him sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it, they described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Let me say that again. They began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. I imagine just filled with fear. Um, filled with fear, kind of seeing what is just happening here uh, misunderstanding what's going on here. You've seen this man who's filled with demons and you've, you've heard him cry out in the middle of the night and I'm sure that rumors are floating around town. You've probably, every, everybody had probably passed rumors about this guy. Everybody knew about the man that had been filled with demons that lived among the dead people who was unclean, who nobody would have anything to do with, who was ceremoniously unclean towards the Jews. And they hear about this man and I'm sure Whenever word passes through town, they're filled with fear. They don't know what's going on here. And they hear about these 2,000 pigs that have just drowned themselves or, or been drowned by the demons. They send themselves out. Here's the thing. Satan hates anything made in the image and likeness of God. Satan wants to keep people bound in chains. Satan and all of his allies, Satan and all of his work is to keep your friends, your neighbors, you, is to keep you bound. Bound to old sins, bound, and many people in our, our community bound um, by, by habits, by things to us that just looks like maybe, okay, that, that just looks like drugs or this just looks like Divorce, or this just looks like somebody who is bound by alcoholism or bound by pornography, whatever it might be. But I want you to understand, and I want you to know that there's something much deeper at play here. There's something much deeper that's going on at work, and it's it's this age-old enemy that we've had since Genesis chapter three. Even before that, 
It's this enemy called Satan and this enemy called darkness that wants us bound, that wants us enslaved, that wants us deprived, wants us broken. I want you to understand this morning that the enemy is real. And he does not play fair. He'll take out your children. He will rip your family apart. He will allow you and, and things that you never thought would happen. He will allow that to pass. To be. But just as we sang this morning that nothing, nothing is wasted. Even the things that our enemy means for good, God takes those things and he turns them and he uses it for his glory and for his good. It says that this demon-possessed man who had been sitting there clothed in his right mind and the whole city's afraid. But did you notice how Jesus, how he called this unspirit out of him with just a simple word? Verse 13, so he gave them permission, Jesus with the word that comes out of his mouth is in control of our enemy with a simple word verse 17 and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region and as he was getting into the boat the man who had been possessed with demons begged him begged him that he might be with him he's saying Jesus let me be on the team let me be one of the disciples and he did not permit him but he said to him go home to your friends And tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone had marveled. You see what the enemy means for evil and what darkness can do, what brokenness can do. Jesus steps into the picture and Jesus stands as a liberator. Jesus stands as a liberator. We were going to, this morning, tell the story about a man who had really, for 35 years of his life, had never had a relationship with Jesus until Jesus met him and kicked him in the chest, really, and changed his life. Jesus is a liberator in what Satan means for for bad and what Satan means for evil in our community and in your life, God can use for good. But here's my question for you this morning. If Jesus has authority over the winds and the waves, and if Jesus has authority over the demons, just on a real practical level this morning, does Jesus have authority over your life? And I know this is one of those rhetorical questions. Yes, absolutely. He does. But does Jesus have 100% authority over your life this morning? Like, really? Like, I know as followers of Christ, you know, we might give him 80%, we might give him 70%. But have you totally surrendered this morning? Have you totally surrendered everything? Everything to Christ? Maybe habits, sinful patterns that have been following you around for a long time. Maybe it's relationships this morning. Relationships, those are one of those secret sins that we still hold grudges in our heart and in our mind. We, we know that we haven't necessarily forgiven that person who might have wronged us or maybe they don't even know about it and we have failed to forgive them. Does Christ have 100% authority over your life this morning? 
He's got it over the wind. He's got it over the, the rain. We've seen this week that he's got it over even the hurricane. He's got it over this, this demoniac, this demon of, with the power of 6,000 Roman soldiers. He's got it even over that. And I think sometimes as followers of Christ, some of the places, some of the places where Jesus doesn't have authority is those places that we've locked away. Or we failed to say, I'm going to give this to you. I'm going to surrender this to you. Even as followers of Christ. This morning, the application is pretty simple. We're going to just allow you to ask. Uh, we're going to uh, ask you to allow Jesus to change you. Amen. Just like we saw here this morning with the demoniac. We're just going to ask you to allow Jesus to change you. To change your story. We can't. If we're unwilling to totally surrender. We can't unless we're willing to give Jesus 100% this morning. But not only did Jesus change this man, Jesus consumes this man. Jesus consumes him. And as he consumes him, he asks to be on the team. He asks to be one of the followers, one of you know, Jesus' disciples. He says, let me, let me follow you. I'll, I'll be with you. I'll be on the team. We'll go together. We'll travel into all these towns and all these cities. And what does Jesus tell him? He says, no. He says, instead, I'd like for you to go back to tell all your friends and tell all your family about what you just saw happen. A man, again, who is ceremoniously unclean, living among the dead. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them the story of how your life was restored. And so he sends him into this Decapolis, which is about 10 different places. There, Deca. Sends him about into 10 different cities. And he goes back into all these, these cities and he tells them about what Jesus had done for them. And everyone marveled at who Jesus was. Now, we just told you just a second ago... That at this moment, at this present time, they're begging Jesus and all of his disciples to flee. They're saying, please leave, like get in the boat, get out. We don't want to have anything to do with you. But as Jesus changes this man's life, as Jesus consumes this man, he goes back into these villages. He tells them about what's, uh, what has happened to his life. Flip over with me for just a second. Flip with me, Mark chapter 7. And I'm not going to read a, a lot of this, but I just want to show you. Mark chapter 7, look at verse 31. When you're there, say, I'm there. Then he, being Jesus, he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee into the region of the what? Say that with me. Turn to your neighbor and say it to the Decapolis. And it's here at this moment where Jesus is getting ready to feed not the 5,000, but Jesus is about to feed the 4,000. And so this city who was once hardened, this city who was once afraid of Jesus, has now, because of this man being able to go back and this man being able to spread the word and because of this town being able to hear this testimony, the town being able to, to marvel at what Jesus had just done, this town is now ready to hear the good news of the gospel. Yeah. What was once hard soil has through this man's testimony been ready and made into good soil. You see, whenever Jesus changes a life, He doesn't change it 
for a chain's sake, but he changes it to send you back out into brokenness. He changes our lives, consumes our lives to send us back out into brokenness, into hard soil so that they can look at our lives, look at our transformation and say, that is what Jesus can do. Now, how many of you um, have heard of this thing called fantasy football? Okay, raise your hand. That's why I know who I'm working with. Man, we should have started a team. Too late. So for those of you who don't know what fantasy football is, I love it, by the way. I'm getting ready to start it today. I just love the NFL season. It's going to be good. Sit there with my boy. He's going to be screaming his head off. I'm going to say, Maverick, this is the NFL. Uh, but this thing called fantasy football, I do it every year where we get together with a group of guys. And, and basically, you pick the best players on, on the, in the NFL. You pick all the best players. You have all this draft. It's kind of this fun moment. And you just get to watch them. Uh, throughout the year and if you know say for example you pick a quarterback and he has a good game well you get more points and you play up against your buddies and stuff like that it's really fun at least for me maybe I'm just a nerd Um, but we play this every single year and we have a really good time but every single year whenever it comes time for the draft you want to pick the best players Right? You want to pick the guys that aren't injury prone. You want to pick the guys that are going to score a lot of touchdowns. You want to pick the guys that are going to have a lot of catches. You're going to pick a lot of the guys that are just going to get you a lot of points so that you can beat other people. And really, if, they're, if it's not a good player, you're not going to want to pick them. Now, here's the thing. Whenever Jesus is picking, he's handpicking people that he's going to go and change the world with. I'm imagining he's not looking at this demoniac who's living among the tombs to say, I'm going to pick that guy and we're going to go and change the world with him. But this is the power of the gospel. I'm going to say that again. This is the power of the gospel. Where Jesus takes the unlikely, Jesus takes the ones that have been outcast, the ones that the city had nothing to do with, the ones that were often alone, living among the dead, smelling bones, just smelling death, smelling decay, his body just tormented. Jesus says, I want him on the team. Amen. And he does this all throughout the scripture. We see the woman at the well. When the disciples had moved into the town, they had passed over her. Jesus says, I want her to be on the team so that we can spread the gospel to the surrounding villages. I don't know about you, but I'm not first pick. I don't have much talent. I don't have anything that I can bring to Jesus to say, here, work with this. I wasn't, I wasn't shiny and, and glossy and, and someone that you would have looked at and said, yeah, we'll pick him. We'll put him on the team. But for some reason... Jesus called. Jesus did the same for you this morning. Jesus did that for your life and said, I want to change this person. I want to restore their life. I want them on the team. I want to consume them so that we can go back out in the surrounding cities, surrounding villages, so that my gospel can be spread.